Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Good evening. <laughs> Good to see you. Man, I don't even think I need to preach, Jamie. Seriously. He did such a wonderful job sharing your testimony, and it's good to see you. Good to hear what God's doing in your life. There's a fire shut up in your bones, and thank you for sharing that with us. Um, welcome people online tonight. If you're, if you're tuning in, it's, we're, we're winding our way towards Christmas Day, right? We're getting there. And so um, I want to share something from the Word tonight that I feel should be shared and hopefully will lift your spirit and shed a bit of uh, peace into your home and into your life. Um, I'd like it tonight if by the end of the message your attention was stolen away from, uh, and, uh, you know, and redirected away from the, the outer trappings of Christmas and hopefully brings you into a real encounter with Christ. Um, I'd love it if by the end of the message, your heart were glowing uh, with worship and belonging and peace with God. Because for so many people listening, am I hitting something there, Stephen? Doing something? Too close. Okay. Is that better? Uh, All right. Thanks, Steve. Uh, For so many people listening, you know, tonight, and this is coming from just soundings and, and being around in feed quark talking to people, listening to people, friends, family. Um, there are a lot of people that could could really use a break that, from the anxiety that gets built up around this time. Um, and they need a, a time out from that. And, uh, you know, the, the constant kind of things. I know myself, I've got three teenagers. Um, some of them are very specific of what they want. One of them actually sent me a PowerPoint presentation with pictures and, and descriptions. The other sent me a list with websites, and the other one doesn't have a clue, so uh, we're still working on that one. Uh, but it's, a, it's that same thing every year, isn't it? What am I going to get everybody? Uh, will they be happy? Will it be enough? Who and where will you spend Christmas? So for some people, that question alone is like, you know, it's it's just can breathe so much anxiety considering what your family life might be like or family situations, who's going to be there, what we're going to eat, uh, will certain people make it, and if they do, how am I going to navigate relationships that may be frayed or relationships that may be strained or not existent at all. Christmas can really empty your tank this season. It, it can just bring with it um, a bundle of of anxiety, a bundle of, of of feeling like you're not enough, a bundle of of making you very aware of uh, your own humanity in some ways, and it's amazing that something uh, that originally started and was originally intended to inspire worship and benevolence in the heart of the Christian can now be a very overrated and stressful time. 
And I, I can't imagine that this was ever in the heart of God for any of us, to be honest. I can't imagine that this was God's plan, that the birth of his son and the celebration of it would bring about uh, you know, some of the most stressful uh, times during the year. Uh, this yearly reminder that, that we have, and thank God for Christmas, I thank God uh, that we can take time out to acknowledge that Jesus came in the flesh. We're going to talk about it here tonight because it, it really is a life-changing truth. It's powerful. It's, it's impactful. And it's, it's very meaningful to us. But I can't imagine that, that this yearly reminder of the gift of God's Son would be an, be an annual head and heartache for many people. But if you listen, you'll hear it. If you listen, and, if, and, and for those who are struggling, it can actually be a day of dread. It can actually be a day that they don't look forward to. So tonight, for just a few minutes, I want to scrape away at the tinsel and the lights, if you'll allow me, through the word, away from the gifts and the food and all of that. And I really want us to direct our attention to the Father's heart for each of us tonight. I want to direct our heart into the scriptures, and I want our hearts to be warmed by heaven's fire, by heaven's intent. And I want to look a little uh, for, with you for a little while tonight at two verses of Scripture. Two verses of Scripture. The first is in John chapter 1, verse 14. The second is going to be in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to go there in just a moment. But both of these, if I, were to, if I were to have a short list of 50 Bible verses out of the thousands, both of these verses would make it into the top 50, apart from it being Christmas time. They're powerful, meaningful verses that minister to me personally. And, and they both uh, would be what in Latin, and I, and I learned one of those $3 words, as we would say in the South this last week as I was studying for this, uh, what in Latin is called the locus classicus. Now, that sounded pretty cool. That's the only reason I threw that in there. Not to impress, but I just kind of like the way it sounds. Or the classical place, the classical place that you would use to talk about the whole theme of Christmas, the, the incarnation of Christ. These two scriptures are the locus classicus, the classical place in scripture that you would turn to if you wanted to talk about what Christmas is all about, the incarnation of Christ. The, the first verse that I mentioned is John 1.14, and it's familiar to us all. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The second is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Listen to what Paul says to the Philippian believers. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. Now, both of these verses were written to bear out this bedrock reality of Christ's humanity. That is... That is at the heart and the crux of the gospel, that Jesus being fully God became fully human. 
that God added to himself uh, humanity, that God took on humanity and became fully human. And both men wrote these passages for different reasons. For different reasons, John wrote his account that his audience would believe in Jesus and put their trust in him. It's a very evangelistic book. It was written to non-believers. It was written to people that are that haven't had or, or don't hadn't expressed faith in Christ to the pagan to the to the Greek mind of his day. It was written to them. He uses very familiar terminology of the day that Jesus was the embodiment of the logos that which the Greeks believed to be the very mind of God, ultimate wisdom. That's what he says. Logos, the word, was, was God, was with God, was God. Everything was made by him, and without him, nothing else was made. That's what the scripture says. And the logos, the very mind of God, became flesh. Now, in the Greek, in the English, it says he became flesh, but in the Greek, it actually says he tabernacled with us. He came and dwelt as it were in a tent. God came as he did in the Old Testament, as he came into that old tabernacle tent, his glory showed up there, and John is alluding back to that, alluding back to that reality, that just as God came and tabernacled with Israel in a tent, his glory abode on the tent, God, John says that God actually has now taken up residence. He is now a man, and he is tabernacle with us, no longer in a tent, but in Christ, the Son. And, and John describes that incarnation very well. But I want to look more closely tonight at Philippians. Here I want, to, I want to come tonight because I want to bring a bit of encouragement to you. Paul wrote the book of Philippians, and, and with it, this description of Christmas, you find it here in Philippians chapter 2. Of verse 7, he talks about Christmas here, whether you believe it or not. Uh, but he wrote about the incarnation to encourage Christians that were suffering. He wrote to Christians that were living in, in times of persecution in a town called Philippi. It was the first European city that was impacted by the gospel. Philippi, and in, in Paul's ministry, it was there that you know that he was beaten and thrown in prison. And he and, he and uh, Silas sang songs to God at midnight, and the place was shaken. And there was a, there was a church founded from uh, the jailer and a woman named Lydia that sold purple outside the city. They, they came together, and this church was founded there, and, and it grew, and it became a, an, an ardent supporter of Paul. They, they were very generous, they were, they were very giving, and they loved the Lord very much, but they were going through a very, very difficult time. Many Christians in Philippi were hurting because of their faith in Christ as the king. They were, they were hurting, and they were being persecuted in their culture because Philippi was the most nationalistic Roman city in the Roman Empire. There was a strong adherence to emperor worship there. The emperor was, was, was honored and revered, um, and there was this great devotion to, to Caesar and this understanding that Caesar was not merely a man, but he was also a god. So they believed also that Caesar was a god-man, 
and he uh, required worship. He required, uh, you know, uh, veneration and love and adoration. And, and Philippi, uh, if you know a little bit about the history, it was filled with retired Roman army, army brass and political leaders. It was a quasi-retirement destination for Roman uh, official retirees. And so there's this very strong sense of nationalism there. Very strong sense of nationalism. And the Christians were paying the price for not recognizing Caesar as God and Lord. The Christians were not buying into the Roman nationalism. They weren't buying into the culture that surrounded them. And they were paying a very dear and hefty price. They, they weren't allowed to go into the marketplace and buy because they wouldn't burn a pinch of incense and hail, hail Caesar as Lord and put the ash on their forehead, which, which showed that as they went from stall to stall that they had, they had venerated Caesar. So they didn't have the mark as it were, on their forehead, and they wouldn't venerate Caesar, and so they were shut out. So if you were a, if you were a Lydia or if you were someone that sold, you wouldn't have access to the marketplace in Philippi because you wouldn't worship and you wouldn't venerate Caesar. There was only one Lord, and his name is Jesus. That was their hearts. That was the, and they, they were paying a heavy price. They were in heaviness. And so Paul writes this letter to them to bring them joy, to, to lift them out of the suffering, to lift them in their time of trouble, to, to bring out some truths about Christ. And, he, and he, he starts with this thought, this encouragement to them uh, about Christmas. It's a Christmas encouragement. It's a, about the incarnation that Jesus became man, that God laid aside certain things uh, uh, and, and laid aside his glories that he had in heaven, as Jesus talked about in John chapter 15, 16, and 17, that there was a glory that he had uh, in heaven that he didn't have then. There were certain things that, that he, he willingly uh, gave up and sacrificed and became as a servant, totally dependent on the Father, totally dependent on whatever attribute God wanted him to work in, whatever thing, whatever part of his deity that God wanted to manifest, he was totally reliant on the Father. And, uh, and this is what Paul is bringing out. And so Paul is using the incarnation to bring joy. And it's interesting. I just found this interesting. I was on my way in here, and I was just meditating on this, and I was thinking, you know, the enemy is going to get you either way he can. He's either going to come at you with a frontal assault uh, and try and keep you out of the marketplace, or he's going to try and come into the back door and satiate you with the marketplace. He's, gonna, he's either going to try and freeze you out, or he's either going to try and overindulge you in it so that the, the truth about who Christ is is washed out in your life. That's the way the enemy works. And that's the historical, uh, that's his, his we, you know, Paul says we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. That he comes at us frontally, he comes, as, he comes at us, he can't come at us through the front door, he'll go through a side window or a back door, or through the basement, down through the chimney, whatever way he can get in, he's going to try and get it. But I find it very interesting that in Philippi, they were dealing with not gaining access to the marketplace, and it was bringing them a great, a great bit of hardship and difficulty and sadness 
And on, in our world today, we, have, we are inundated by capitalism. We are inundated. Every day we wake up, there are ads. There is everything that's vying for our attention for us to buy into something, to give up part of ourselves for something. And, uh, and it's the same enemy. It's just different hands. One hand is this and the other hand is that. But it's the same attempt to try and wash out this truth of, of Christ. And I want to tell you something. Whether you're frozen out or whether you're satiated by the marketplace, the end of it is joylessness. You can, you can experience joylessness and difficulty. And these people were paying that price because they refused to burn that incense and to honor Caesar. So in this culture that is steeped in God-man-emperor worship, you can see how this letter would comfort their hearts. And Paul draws their attention to the God-man, draws their attention to Christ, and, and wants to help them navigate this hardship in a city that is rife with man-centered worship. And the Christians needed to be encouraged and reminded about their true king, their emperor, and their lord. And, and they are drawn into the story of Christ as a pattern and an illustration of what each Christian is called to. Paul says, let the same mind that was in Christ be in you. Let the same way of thinking that was his thinking be in your thinking. Let that captivate you as you suffer. Let that captivate you as you're dealing with uh, the marketplace difficulties, as you're dealing with the pressures of culture, let this idea, let this thought of incarnation influence your life. And I think that would be the message to the church every day of the year, but especially as we come around this time of Christmas. Let this thought of Christ's incarnation produce joy in you. Let it produce a servant's heart in you. Let it produce something that bolsters you as you suffer instead of emptying you, instead of wearing you out, instead of being a burden to you. Let the incarnation bring you life. Let it do what it's meant to do. Let that same thinking that was in Christ be in you as you suffer. And this is going to buffer you, and it's going to give you strength in a world that is hostile to your faith. Paul says this Christmas reality, or the Christmas reality, was to be a part of their way of thinking. It is to be a guiding principle in the midst of pain and sorrow. The incarnation is a great truth that should comfort us. It's a great It's a great truth that should bring us strength, not drain us, not make us anxious, not make us worried and feel less than. It should fill our hearts full of hope. It should make us feel like we belong, not like we're on the outside looking in and we have no family and we have no friends. It shouldn't make us feel isolated. If anything, it should do the opposite. It should woo us and draw us into a relationship with the Father when we think about the incarnation. And part of this inspiration comes with the reflection on Christ becoming human or taking on the form of a servant. Let's read verse seven again. Listen to what it says. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. Now in the English, this is what we hear. 
Christ, who is God, became a man, gave up everything, laid down every right, became a slave to serve his father on our behalf. Now, that's what you would gain out of that if you were to look at it in a more, you know, colloquial way of speaking in our, in our local language. But in the Greek, we get something much stronger, something much more impactful for what happened that first Christmas. And, and it's this word kenosis. It's a powerful word. It's a powerful word. And, and it's in this indirect contrast of Caesar and Christ. It's a, it's a direct contrast between Caesar being filled with, with pomp and pride and arrogance and, and power uh, and all of those trappings that go along with the station of being emperor and declaring yourself to be the God-man. It's such a contrast when you see the true king of heaven who does have all power and who does dwell in infinite light, who angels worship, who creation obeys, who speaks and worlds are formed and realities are given and time begins and light happens. This one who's done all of those wonderful things and who is the the keeper of our reality and our realm, he lays down that glory and becomes human. What a contrast. He doesn't wield his power in chariots of gold and armies and banners. He does He doesn't come in that same way. The word literally means to empty oneself. That's what kenosis means, empty oneself. Christ emptied himself of all that he had in heaven with the Father, laid aside the kingly robes, and took up the robes of a slave. That word for for servant isn't just servant. You think of a servant like somebody that you pay to come and clean your house or a butler or someone like that. No, it's doulos. It is a slave. It's a slave. It's someone that is indentured to you. They are your slave. You tell them to go and they go. You tell them to do and they, and, and so he lays aside this glory and takes up these robes of slavery, this robe of servanthood, And this frames for us the reality of Christmas. This brings us into this season. It brings us into a frame of mind and a way of thinking that God was in Christ, emptying himself of that regality of what it meant to be God in heaven and humbling himself so that he could reconcile man to himself. Christmas is the Christian celebration of this truth. It's, it's the Christian celebration of this truth. And it happens in the darkest part of the year to mark a turning, to mark the dawning of more and more light into our days. And it was meant to be a blessing to Christians. Christmas was meant to be a blessing, not a burden. You know, the, 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 the church, as it were, as it grew in development and, and, and that throughout the, the ages, chose to, to, to mark this time as a celebration of remembrance of Christ and his coming. And it was meant to be a light in the darkness. It was meant to, to, to bring comfort and strength. It was meant to be a blessing to Christians and to me- remember whose we are and, and to whom we worship. And for the Christian, this season isn't meant to be a mixture of stress anxiety, and commercialism. That's not at all what this season is about for us. Amen? 
It's not meant to be that way. And, and how we celebrate this has been, as we say, it's been hijacked. It, it, it has been turned into a season of excess and materialism to fund commerce rather than actually bringing about the proper focuses for Christian men, women, boys, and girls. It's, it's meant to bring us into a focus on how great our Savior is. It's, it's meant to bring us into a time of communion and drawing near to God and, and real, in bringing us into these realities. And Christmas, this season that we celebrate the emptying of Christ, which is meant to bring so much hope and comfort for so many people, it's personally emptying. And I'm not trying to do a play on words, but it's so true. Christmas can be draining. Christmas can be stressful. And it can empty you of virtue. It can empty you of patience. It can empty you of, of love and benevolence. And you can find yourself living on a knife's edge. You can find yourself living in a place of loneliness. I've heard so many people this year say this, I can't wait for Christmas to be finished and over. What a shame. What a shame. But, but, but reality is for many people, it's a season of loneliness of regret and pain and isolation, a reminder of a broken relationship, better days that are now past, a magnifier of sorts uh, that, that highlights our loss and our lack, a reminder of an empty seat at the table or a nagging thought of how I'm going to provide Christmas since I have so little. And while many people endeavor to have a Hallmark Christmas experience, there are countless people left out in the cold at Christmas. Joyce Fagan, I just read this article the other day in the, in the Irish Examiner and had a catching headline, and it really it, it caught me as I was skimming through the news as I do sometimes. This, is, this was the, the, her piece that she wrote as an editorial. We could lift Christmas spirits by reducing our hallmark expectations. I couldn't agree with her more. These hallmark expectations that are built so that you buy more, so that you get more, so that you give away your resources more. I couldn't agree with her more. Think of it, a season where God drew near, laid aside his eternal glory, became a servant so that we could feel valued, seen, loved, accepted, turned into a season of isolation, desperation, depression, sadness. It's not the heart of what it's meant to be all about. So we need to scrape back as Christians. We need to scrape back the shiny veneer, pull back the hallmark curtain, as it were, and kneel again at a manger. Kneel again at a manger. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about worshiping Christ as a babe. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that, that reality. Let that reality, when we talk about going to the manger, to see that God became one of us, that, that is a, it, it is so mind-blowing. That, the, that this is the pinnacle of God's humility, that his, his loving heart uh, it, it shows through by laying their helpless in a feeding trough. Think about that. The God of the universe. Now we know he wasn't truly helpless, but thinking as a babe, helpless in a feeding trough. God's heart and sentiment towards us would be that we would feel what Adolf Adam wrote in O Holy Night, then he appeared and the soul felt its worth. That's what God wants you to know at Christmas, that you are valued, 
that you are loved. If you can afford a present, if you have anyone in your life or not, if you feel isolated, if you feel away, estranged, if you feel burned out, empty, the heart of God is that you would feel your worth, that you would be reminded by that manger how valuable you are, how valuable you are. It should bother us. It should unnerve us that something that should cause us to feel valued leaves so many people feeling worthless and alone. If you feel worthless and alone and depressed at Christmas because of Christmas, you need to rediscover kenosis. You need an invitation to the manger side. Jesus was emptying himself so you and I wouldn't be empty. Isn't that wonderful? The Bible puts it another way. He that was rich became poor so that we can become wealthy. So we can receive that invitation as Christ emptied himself so that we wouldn't be empty, so that we wouldn't lack. That's the nature of Christ, that, that we wouldn't be crushed by loneliness and sadness. And I think it's so satanic and it's so dark that the enemy would take the light of the message of Christmas and turn it into a season of greed, materialism, and self-indulgence. So much so that you have families so stressed and burdened about how they're going to make Christmas special. Folks, whether you give a gift or not, Christmas is special. And it's special when you view it through heavens, the, he- the lens of heaven. That night, that humbling birth was the beginning of a new way. It was the beginning of a new hope, a new life experience. And it holds so much more value in our lives when we have a proper focus. And, and it brings our, when we, when we bring our families around the manger to see something truly, truly awe-inspiring, something that is truly, truly impactful, that our God came as a baby. Think about that just a moment. Wrapped in rags, in a trough, in a stable. Pause just a moment in the rush. Let's take tonight as we look towards Saturday to take a pause just for now. Smell the hay, the animals, the noises a baby makes. I think about I think about the babies that have been born to us here recently. There's nothing like those infant noises, those little grunt noises, those cute things, that, not just the crying, but the, you know what I'm talking about. Listen, let it warm you, let it grab you. Here, there's that no-name couple, really, in earthly standards, from a no-name village, huddled around this tiny little bundle tiny little bundle. God is so vulnerable, so innocent, so fragile, yet so powerful that death could not hold him. A little sleeping infant, resting, new to this world, yet his feet have walked, as it says in the prophets, in eternity past. Those tiny hands, those tiny features, his little ears and eyes would one day hear and see and be moved with compassion on the multitudes. Think about it. Those hands would touch so many, and eventually 
bear the marks of all of our shame and failure. Think about it. Isn't it wonderful? This is what Christmas is supposed to draw our attention and our heart to. To warm us. To inspire us. Like Paul said, let this mind be in you. Think about it. The wonder of the emptying. The wonder of kenosis. Not just the mystery and the depth of God becoming human, but more about the heart that is behind it. Because here he is on a path. He's on a journey for us. He's on a journey towards us. Even there, he is taken up and picked up and added himself our humanity. And from now on, he will look through a pair of man's eyes. From now on, there would be a human heart beating in his chest, a pair of lungs breathing in and out our oxygen. He would learn to walk. He would learn to talk. He would learn to run. He would learn how to read and write. He would follow Joseph into the workshop, take up tools, hold a hammer in his hand, a saw and a chisel. He would learn what it is to be in a family with brothers and sisters, deal with sibling rivalries and family dynamics, to be called in from outside for a meal. This is our Savior. To watch his earthen father die as Joseph did, to feel the weight of carrying a household and see the pain in the young widow's eyes, to hold her and to console her. And we can't strip this away because we need to see it because it grounds us. It grounds us. It, 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 it draws us. It causes us to draw closer to him when we really begin to think about the emptying the carpenter's son from Nazareth. This is our king. And there's something in this that is so grounding for us that inspires us all to be more human to each other during this season. Amen? You know, sin strips us of our humanity. When sin came in, humanity was marred. It took on the demonic. It took on the sensual. It took on the darknesses. But in Christ, our true humanity is redeemed and we're brought back into the, 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 the capacities through the Holy Spirit to be more human, to be more compassionate, to be more kind, to be more honoring, to love, to give, to serve, to look out for one another. These are things that have been restored to us through his coming. And I love that thought that he does do something wonderfully spiritual and that he fills us with the Holy Spirit. But as I travel and walk more with the Lord, I understand that the longer I walk with him, that he is restoring more and more of what it means to truly be human, what it, what it truly means to feel as other people feel, uh, to see as other people see, and to care as we should for one another. And this is what we're called to. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 63, 9. I'm going to close with this. Speaking of Christ, speaking of the incarnation, the kenosis, and all their suffering, he also suffered. I love what it says in the King James, in their affliction, he was afflicted. That's powerful. And he personally rescued them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried through them through all the years. That's what it says in Isaiah 63, 9. Also in Hebrews 2, 16 and 18. Listen to this as we near the closing. We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. 
He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. And this is what Paul is hitting at in, in Philippians. That he knows. He understands. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God to claim. He knows what it is to feel rejection. He knows what it is to lose a parent. He, know what, he knows what it is to face singleness. He knows what it is to face so many different challenges. And this grounds us. It, it, it helps us to understand that he bore us up in this and he carried what we could not. And, and when we can come in our humanity and experience into his strength, his grace, and his compassion, all because of kenosis, all because of the emptying, all the, because of the pouring out and the laying down of certain rights, and this contrasts so distinctly with the untouchable, unapproachable, war-hungry God-man Caesar as you look at it, and it contrasts so deeply with the vulgarity of a world scrambling around trying so hard to make one day so special. Folks, the Bible says he came not to help angels, but the children of Abraham. And that's just not talking about the Jews. It means children of faith. He's come to help those who put their trust in him. And, and we need to own this today. Make it your, your own this Christmas. That I believe in the only begotten of the Father. I believe in the only human son of the Father. I, I believe in him. I, I believe in a touchable, tangible Savior who has joined himself to me by taking on human flesh. And as you begin to consider, as you begin to think about that, as you begin to ponder that and not get distracted and not get caught up, as you begin to think that way, I think that we'd stand a good chance of not going into Christmas empty. That, that we don't have to live empty lives because he was emptied. That we can experience something of God in our lives this Christmas with your family, with your, with your friends, with our church. We can experience the touch of Christ as we look at this as we think about it as this mind begins to grab hold on us and as we begin to ponder and as we begin to think and we take those like the psalm says you know in the book of psalms it, it, there are verses of scripture and it talks about sing to the Lord or think about his word and then it'll say the word selah pause for reflection and think about it Think about him in the hustle, in the bustle. Think about how it's not his heart that you be empty this Christmas, but that you sense his nearness and that you draw near to him. I'm looking forward to Saturday morning coming in with the church. I'm looking forward to coming in and gathering with the body 
and putting our focus where it should be, putting our, our mind upon this one who emptied himself so we don't have to be empty. If you, if, if you feel empty and isolated, if you feel alone, the word is to you tonight. The heart of God is towards you tonight. You don't have to be empty. You don't have to feel alone. There is one who cares. There's one who came. Come to the manger. Come and see this Christmas that God has something in store for you. God has something very special for you. And folks, we can let the trappings of a Hallmark Christmas rob us. But this Christmas, I'm going to choose not to. I have been choosing in my own heart not to get so caught up, not to be so worried, but to turn my thoughts towards this and be grounded and in touch with the Holy Spirit. I pray that that happens to you. I pray that that's your experience. Let's stand together tonight. The kenosis, the emptying, Christmas, hallelujah. Thank God he was emptied for us so that we don't have to be empty. Thank God he came so that we can experience the fullness of his love and his kindness. He can restore to us our humanity. He can restore to us something that gets lost around this time. And we can be a light. We can be a light. God can put such a light in you that you can be like the star of Bethlehem and you could point to where Christ is. God can do that in your life and in my life. And that's what I'm praying, that this Christmas I enjoy and I worship and I find him in a very different way. I don't want to be empty. I don't want to be burned out. I want to be experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit. Would you lift your hands with me here tonight? I think it's a call by the Holy Spirit to us all. Come to the manger. Hallelujah. And let's worship him. Father, we come to you tonight. We come to you. And Lord, I believe that you do ordain days. You, you do allow things to happen in your providence so that men might find you, might grasp and, and hear things and, and sense things. And I believe Christmas is one of those graces that you've allowed to continue. And Lord, I pray for the Christian here tonight. I pray for those that are here tonight that feel empty, that feel like they're not measuring up, that God, that they would, they would just find rest and find peace this Christmas. And it would be different than any other. Lord, I pray you would meet us where we are that you would find us where we are, that, God, that you would lift each person to a place of worship and contemplation this time around, that our hearts would be on you, that our, our knees would be bent before your throne, that we would be found honoring and worshiping you and blessing your name. God, touch hearts tonight. Minister life tonight in the power of, of your Holy Spirit, reveal more and more about this truth to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you tonight, church. 
Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.